So there, there once was a, a king, and he, he announced a, a painting contest. He, w- he was building a new palace, and, and he wanted the main entrance hall to uh, be decorated with a large work of art. And he envisioned, he envisioned his uh, kingdom as a, a peaceful land. And so whoever's painting best symbolized peace would, would win a prize, a large cash prize. And so over the next few months, hundreds of paintings came came in. And uh, the king, after looking at all these, he decided on the uh, the two that he liked the most. And he hung them in the palace for uh, for public viewing. Now the first painting was of a majestic lake, uh, so tranquil that the lush hills behind it were perfectly mirrored in its reflection. You know, the sky was brilliant blue with soft, puffy clouds floating above. Wildflowers bursting with color outlined the uh, the lake. A family of deer calmly grazed in in a far meadow and. All who saw it felt peace and happiness. Well, the second one was, was different. It portrayed a, a tall mountain cliff, uh, rugged and strong. There were, there were a few small trees growing out of the cracks on the face of the cliff with gnarled roots clinging for life. You know, a foamy waterfall angrily crashed down the cliff into the uh, rocky land below. And above, dark, ominous clouds loomed. And in the distance, lightning flashed. Halfway up the cliff grew a small bush. In its branches, a, a bird sat in a nest, apparently warming her leg, her eggs, not her legs, her eggs. <laughs> After several weeks, the, the king declared the, the second painting the winner. Now, confused and upset, the, the, the people asked the king about his decision. You know, explain it. Well, he said that peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is a state of mind. Those who experience peace have love in their hearts even when the turmoil surrounds them. And I'd like to say that today's psalm, Psalm 4, kind of gives us a a picture of that. And I would say that those who experience peace are those who have God in their hearts. So we continue the series in Psalms with a psalm that I think speaks to all of us. You know, psalm 4 is it's a psalm from, from David's heart uh, as he deals with, with struggles and anxieties and, and events in his life. You know, think, think about the struggles that, that you've had, that, that we've had. You know, maybe, maybe we're having struggles right now in, in our lives. I think many of us are. But also I want you to think about the times when when God has come through and how we're able to to trust him now. And we need to ask ourselves, do we we have peace in the midst of distress? That's what this psalm is about. So Psalm 4, read with me. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Selah. But know the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Selah. 
Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Now, there's three key words that I want to pull out of here. Call, trust, and rest. Call on the Lord. Trust in him and rest in him. You remember the first uh, sermon that we preached, kind of an introduction to Psalms. You know, we said that the Psalms were of, of different types. Some of them were songs. This one is obviously a song because of the heading that uh, says, To the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. So this, this was a psalm that the, uh, the Hebrews sang. It's uh, also a prayer. This psalm is, is a lament psalm, but as we will also see, it's a, it's a psalm of confidence. David wrote this psalm, and we don't really know the background. We don't really know the background. Uh, those co- the commentary, commentators have uh, speculated. Uh, many feel that it was written when his son Absalom was revolting against him and pursuing him and, and seeking to kill him. You know, this is the background of Psalm 3, and they say this psalm has some similar themes. Some commentators say he wrote it during a time of of drought and and crop failure. We just don't know. I tend to think it was probably the the first. We do know, though, that we can draw application to the uh, the psalm's principles, and I'd like to apply those, those principles to us. You know, God's peace... God's peace is for those who call out to him, who trust in him, and who rest in him. So the first point speaks to the need to, uh, for us to pray earnestly to God. You know, this needs to be our, our first impulse to call on him. You know, it needs to be our, our default action. You know, whenever we feel like, I don't know what to do. Our go-to response for everything should be to to call on him. Verse 1 says, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You know, this is a a bold prayer. It's a prayer of expectation. I know that when I approach God, he hears my prayer. I know that I can come to him in confidence, and he's going to hear me. He's going to answer me. This is especially true because we're told that Jesus is interceding on our behalf. If we look at uh, Hebrews four, fourteen through 16, we read that since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, holds us fast in our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of, of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace or help in time of need. You know, we can approach God because Jesus in his righteousness makes it possible. Now, I know that all of us have experienced stress and anxiety. 
maybe maybe you're one of the few exceptions. I don't know, but I think most of us anyway. You know, even even from the beginning of the Bible, right right at the uh, the beginning of the book of that, of uh, Genesis, we see distress when sin comes in. This, for instance, let's let's look at the distress uh, that was experienced by Eve. You know, I, I kind of, as I, as I was reading through this psalm, you know, I kept, I kept thinking about distress, the distress of, of being a parent. You know, so many, so many things for, for mothers and fathers will, will cause us stress and anxiety. But our first parents, Adam and Eve, when they rebelled, brought sin into the world. One of the results God told Eve was that, uh, he says in Genesis 3.16, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. And in pain, you'll bring forth children. That sounds like distress. Oh, by the way, that is not a, a, a verse I think that most pastors use for a Mother's Day sermon. Uh, there, there's... A, Places in the Proverbs that, that talk about a foolish son being a, a grief to his father. But it talks about something different for the mother. It's bitterness. It's sorrow. Perhaps, perhaps mothers are, are affected in a different way, in a deeper way. You know, from, from conception. This is not a Mother's Day sermon. But uh, from conception, motherhood brings distress at, t- at times. You know, it also brings great joy and, and reward. You know, it's a, it's a mixed blessing. And you know, having observed my wife Chris all these years, I I see that. I've known a lot of mothers. I've, I've known that most of them do experience this this mixture of of happiness and and pain. You know, some of some of the mothers here have, have lost children. My my grandmother lost her oldest son when he was in his uh, early twenties in, in a car accident, and I remember she told me once that uh, she cried every day, every single day she cried for David. And you know, sixty years later, she was still crying. Uh, you know, some some mothers have children who are going through physical difficulties or disabilities. Uh, we, we've known mothers who've had children with, with severe disabilities. Uh, some mothers have children who've strayed from the Lord. Some mothers struggle with sons who have uh, addictions. You know, And all these mothers, all mothers need to be constantly calling out to God on behalf of their children. I do know that my grandmother prayed every day for her children and, and her grandchildren. You know, on the other hand, we, we know many people who have children who are, are healthy and successful and who follow the Lord. Uh, sometimes these are the same parents that have some of the, the kids who are, are straying, though. You know, families can, can be mixed in that way. What are some other sources of distress? I, I think another big one is, is our health. Uh, you know, we're. I, I was uh, saying to somebody recently. You know, we're we're all on the same road towards disability and death. You know, that's not that's not a happy thing to say, 
It's not a happy thing to uh, think about it. But it's the truth. Yeah, we, we read this, this week about this actress who had uh, breast cancer 10 or 15 years ago, and now she's got multi, no, multiple sclerosis. You know, and her, her problems are, are getting a lot of press, but most of the rest of us just quietly endure with, with little notice or, of, of others. You know, Paul in 2 Corinthians says, uh, you know, that we, we groan in these tents and we, we long to put on our heavenly dwelling. You know, the fact is our, our bodies are temporary and, and we suffer in them and we experience distress. There's no end to the uh, sources of, of distress for us. You know, maybe it's a loss of a job. Maybe somebody's wronged us in, in some way. But in all of these things, what's the appropriate response? It's to call out to God. It's to call out to God. Look at what David says as he goes on. He says, you've given me relief when I was in distress. And let's, uh, let's apply Philip or Philippians uh, 4, 11 through 13, where Paul says, I've learned in whatever situation to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. He says, be gracious to me and hear my prayer. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. You know, we need to call out to God and ask for his grace. We know that he hears us and he's ready to shower us with with his grace. Next, David speaks about people, you know, addressing those who've turned against him, including his uh, father-in-law, Saul, his, his son, Absalom. He says, Oh man, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? You know, David, he had people who were against him, who, who sought to uh, destroy him. Uh, he had people who wanted to uh, discredit him as, as king. You know, maybe some of us have such people in our lives. We need to call out to God in prayer. You know, speaking of, of parenting, you know, we, we have as parents an enemy who is working against us in our commitment to raise godly children, godly men and women. You know, it's a, it's a great and honorable thing to bring up children in the Lord. And so many of the parents in our congregation are doing such a, a great job with that. But there's this enemy who uh, seeks to turn your honor into shame. You know, he'll... He'll seek to use people who love vain, worthless words and ideas and who follow after lies, as David is saying here. People who, for some reason, would just love to destroy the faith of your children. But look what David says in verse 3. Know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call him. So parents, let me encourage you, continue with that task of teaching your children well. Continue in prayer for and with your, your children. He knows his own. He's, he's set apart the godly for himself. He's faithful. Even when we hear the voices that are out there, 
loudly. God is faithful. Well, this leads us to our next point in experiencing peace from God. And it's to trust in him. David starts out this this section, he says, Be angry and sin not. And this word for angry in the original Hebrew carries a broader meaning. It, it's, it has a sense of being agitated and, and shaken up. You know, it could be from fear. It could be from anger. It could be from any strong emotion. Many commentators feel that David is speaking to his enemies here, but look at how it might apply to us. The Apostle Paul quotes this in Ephesians. He says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Uh, This kind of begs the question, what does that mean? What does that mean to be angry and sin not? You know, we're told in James that we need to be, he says, let every man be slow to anger. That's in the context of the verse where he says, let every man be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for anger does not work the righteousness of God. That's James 1.20. You know, Colossians 3.8 tells us to, to put away our anger. How are we to be angry and not sin? You know, I think the answer lies in the anger itself. Remember when Jesus, in Mark 3, enters the synagogue, and there's this guy who's, who's got a crippled hand, Crippled hand, and you know the Pharisees were trying to trap him. They were trying to see if he was going to uh, heal this this man with a crippled hand on the Sabbath. And it says he looked around at them with anger. He was grieved at the hardness of their hearts. Jesus was angry at sin. We should be angry at sin, you know, just like Jesus. Though our, I think our anger needs to be mingled with grief for what's going on. We're told not to go to bed angry. Don't go to bed angry. Go to bed and think about it. You know, think about how God has graciously forgiven us of our sins how he's forgiven us of our, our sins uh, and, and be silent before him. You know, know that we can trust in him. David continues on saying, offer the right sacrifices. God is interested in our hearts. You know, he's interested in our, our motives and uh, he's, he's deeply interested in our relationship with him. When we look in Romans 12, God, or Paul talks about this, this sacrifice that God desires. He desires us. He desires our hearts. He desires us fully. Romans 12, 1 and 2 say this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. And we need to give ourselves to God. We need to trust in him fully. We need to give our our anger and our our grief over to him. You know, he he cares for us. We can cast our cares on him because of that. David is saying, offer the right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. 
know, when David wrote this uh, during the Old Testament times, there was a, a system of sacrifices, animal sacrifice. You know, Jesus, though, the ultimate sacrifice who laid down his life for us, did away with that. He was the perfect sacrifice Hebrews 11, or excuse me, Hebrews 10, 12 through 14 spells this out. When Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down on the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies, from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified are being made holy. Well, since Christ has done away with the old, you know, let's, let's listen to what the writer of Hebrews goes on to say about our sacrifice now. So we had, we had Paul saying, you know, offer yourself as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 13, 15 said, through him, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. We just sang that, didn't we? The fruit of lips that acknowledge his name, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are are pleasing to God. You know, besides offering ourselves, our sacrifices consist of praise to God and and doing good, you know, loving God and loving people, the, the, the great commandment. So give yourself wholly to God, put yourself into his hands. We we can't be in better hands. We need to put our trust in him. So what's the result of trusting in God? It allows us to find peace as we rest in him. David says, there are many who say, who will show us some good? Yeah, he's right. There probably are a lot of people saying something like that. You know, maybe you've said it yourself. You know, maybe... Uh, you, you felt that way. You know, where, where's the good that has come from trusting in the Lord? Where's the good that has come from all these prayers that I've, that I've offered? You know, I, I pray and I, I pray and I pray and I, I have others pray as well. And, you know, sometimes it just seems like there's no answer. We need to persist in our prayer. We need to keep calling on the Lord. David says to God, lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. David says we need to seek his presence in in time of need. You know, that's uh, knowing that he cares. You know, many of the Psalms we read about seeking God's face, you know, we need to know what that means. Seeking God's face is, is pursuing God. It's pursuing his presence desiring God desiring that that intimacy with with our Lord you know we need to ask for blessing from God we need to ask for for favor on our our lives our children's lives our grandchildren's lives you know do we, do we pray for our children I heard, I heard a sermon long ago when our kids were little and he was talking about this and he just stopped. He said, I don't know why we would not pray for our children, but many of us don't like we should. 
We need to pray for our children that they would enjoy the Lord, that they would be people who just savored God's presence in in their lives, that they would know God as, as their friend, that they would deeply experience him. Listen to what's next in verse 7. Here's where we see David's confidence just welling up. He says, you've put more joy in my heart than when they have grain, or than when, let me start over. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. You know, the ancient Near East was an agrarian society. People knew they didn't have control over the the weather. We still know that, don't we? We've seen that. You know, there were were times of plenty and there were times of uh, scarcity and drought. But you know, when when the grain and the wine flowed, things were good. It was a sign of God's blessing. It was it was a time of great joy and David says, You know what? God has given me more joy than that. You know, that was the ultimate expression of, of joy and, and blessing, and David says, That's here, I'm up here. You know, maybe uh inexplicable joy. Joy because he's he's put his trust in God and He's able to breathe easy, even though he's facing adversity, even in the midst of the storm. He's at peace. He has joy. You know, do we experience that kind of joy? Joy when times are good. Joy when times are not so good. Joy when we're having maybe issues with other people, with, with our children, with our job, with you name it. Finally, David says, in peace, I will both lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. You know, only putting our trust in God, only by trusting in God and calling out to him will we have this kind of peace, you know, peace with what's going on. This is what the Apostle Paul calls the the peace that passes all understanding. And he sums that up in uh, Philippians 4, 6 through 7. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. This this verse kind of encapsulates this whole, the, the, the message of this psalm, really. He says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So with this, maybe we can go to bed and actually sleep, (laughs) resting in the knowledge that that God is in control. He, He knows what's going on. We're in his hands. And so often we lay there in bed and fret and stay awake, thinking about all the things that may happen. You know, our, our worries, our, our anxieties tend to keep us awake, don't they? But he says, in peace I will both lie down and sleep. That's, that's the rest that can only come from God. Uh, 
there's a commentator, Peter Craigie, who says this about this psalm. He says, however strong the accuser or oppressor may be, ultimately it is God who matters. However deep the anguish and uncertainty may be, God can provide that inner peace which makes sleep possible. So as, as we close here, you know, this, this psalm really does apply to all of us. Uh, we need to, we, we all need to call out to God. We all need to trust him. We all need to, uh, to rest in him. And only then will we experience his peace. Do you remember when Jesus was crossing a, the, the Sea of Galilee with his disciples? They were in a boat and this, this big storm came up. And Jesus was sleeping through this storm. Kind of, a, kind of a picture of what David's talking about here. But the, the disciples are panicking. You know, this, uh, this storm threatened to capsize the boat and kill them all. And they, they woke Jesus up and he got up and he said, peace, be still. And the storm stopped. There was, there was peace. I imagine that water was just like a mirror after that. There was peace. You know, what, what's, what's your storm today? Just like the disciples, we need to call on him, call on our Lord and allow him to take control of our situation and give us peace. We need to call on him. We all need him. Our children need him, and, and he's there for us. He's there. He's there for them. He's set the godly apart for himself, and he hears our prayers. We need to be persistent. We need to offer ourselves to God as as a living sacrifice. We need to put our trust in Him, trust Him with our our very lives, the lives of our children. We need to trust Him with our our jobs, our marriages, our relationships. All these things that we get anxious about, we just need to lay them down at, at his feet. And we can be we can be like that bird in its in its nest in that bush, surrounded by turmoil and scary things, and have peace and have rest in the Lord. So let's rest in him. Let's experience his joy and his peace and get some sleep. Pray with me. Uh, Father, I thank you for hearing our prayers. I thank you for inviting us to lay down our cares at your feet because you care to us, you care for us, Lord. You've told us to be prayerful people, not anxious people. Oh, you're so full of grace, our Lord. Uh, grace so so undeserved. Uh, you you lavish it upon us, uh, your, your children. Lord, be with each person here today. Uh, give us all strength and courage to be people who who do call on you consistently and persistently lord give us confidence knowing that that you hear our prayers Uh, lord build us up with the faith that that you give us let us uh, enjoy rest in in you lord Uh, let us experience your joy and, and your peace And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus, amen.